You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Let's pray. Father, we confess our need of you from the very beginning to to awaken uh, dead and lifeless hearts, to open blind eyes, to, to see you and to know you and to love you. And we thank you that in your mercy, you reach to us in the depths and you pull us up and you set us in secure places. That You are the one who breathes life into us. And so we ask that by your Holy Spirit, even this morning, that your word would continue to do its life-giving work in us. That you would align our hearts with your heart. That we would desire your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives and in the world around us. Help us this morning, teach us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Have a seat. Uh, Good morning. River City, today we're focusing our time, as Mitch already spoiled it, on uh, church planting. We consider our church, our calling as a church to multiplication, uh, part of our, our Acts 29 partnership. We're part of the Acts 29 Church Planting Network, and they've designated this Sunday Church Planting Sunday, and so we're going to just leverage that today. Now, a little bit of background on River City, in case you're curious. We're a part of uh, Acts 29, like I mentioned. We're also part of the North American Baptist Conference And so we are invested in church health and church multiplication here in our region. And as a member of Acts 29, we are, uh, which by the way is a global network of churches. Uh, There are hundreds of churches around the globe today who are looking at God's call on the local church to multiply itself. They're serious about healthy leaders and multiplying healthy churches. With that, if you've been here for any length of time, you've probably heard us say this. And if not, maybe I need to say it more often. That we believe that the church, the local church, is God's primary mission strategy on the planet. So in order to be faithful to the Great Commission, the call to make disciples, it means being passionate and being invested in church planting. We believe that it's the local church made up of disciples of Jesus, committed to Jesus and committed to one another It's the church that stands as the trusted presence in a community, offering hope and help in the midst of trials and tragedies, proclaiming Christ and seeing lives transformed by His gospel and for His glory. So as we plant more healthy, multiplying churches, as we equip men and women to serve in various ministries and in the local church, and as they go out to to do those things, Christ's kingdom is advanced on the earth, and this is the the beauty of multiplication and the beauty of church planting. So with that, I'd like to look at just a few verses to start. The last page of the book of Acts, if you need a Bible, um, they may have already come around, but I wasn't paying attention. Um, uh, Acts chapter 28, we're going to look at just a couple verses to start, Um, but we're not going to stay there. We're going to take kind of a broad look at the mission of God throughout the scriptures this morning, the expansion of the church in history, and then consider what is our part? What does God have for us in his global kingdom, for his 
glory. So my approach this morning, this is a little different sermon than I think I've, I've, I've preached here at River City. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of verses here in Acts 28, uh, but then we're going to be looking at a lot of other passages of Scripture today and a lot of points in history, kind of a 10,000-foot view, if you will, of the expansion of God's kingdom on the earth. So the flow of this morning is going to be more narrative than clear bullet points. So for those of you who take notes, I'm just going to apologize ahead of time. I'm going to move too fast, and there will be too many slides. We will post all of those on our website with the sermon notes. You can take notes if you want to, and if afterwards you want to show me how fast you take notes, I'll give you a gold star. But I just want to give you a fair warning on how we'll go along this morning, all right? So the big question as we read our text and as we uh, kind of consider this this morning is, what is our part in God's mission? And my answer to that is that Jesus has commissioned his church, which is us, right, to carry out his mission. And what is his mission? To make disciples and advance his kingdom of, on the earth. He's, he's called his church to do that. And so that's our part. So let's start our time. We're just going to read two short verses to start. Acts chapter 28, verses, uh, excuse me, 30 and 31. Acts chapter 28, it's the very last page in the book of Acts, verses 30 and 31. This is speaking of the Apostle Paul uh, at the end of his ministry time on the planet. Verse 30, he, Paul, lived there, Rome, two years, two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is God's holy word for us this morning. And you might be thinking, well, that's some really interesting short scripture you've chosen there. But I think on these two verses is sort of a hinge in history. We see the end of Paul's ministry, and from there, stuff's happening. He, like I mentioned, is the Apostle Paul, called by God, once a persecutor of the church, called by God to be a church planter and pastor and leadership developer in the church, who spends the rest of his life preaching and proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and raising up leaders and planting churches. Paul was called the apostle to the Gentiles. He was tasked with bringing the gospel of Jesus to those who were far off. And the passage today tells us that Paul was a preacher and a teacher with all boldness and without hindrance. So what does this have to do with church planting, with multiplication? Well, to understand that, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. So, you can keep your, your hand here in Acts chapter 28 or a pencil or a slip of paper. doesn't matter to me. We're going to go back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. I warned you. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God creates all things and he calls them good. He says, this is good what, what I have made. And in Genesis chapter 3, we read that, that sin enters creation. Satan deceives Adam and Eve. They were enticed by their own desires to do life their own way, which results in brokenness and shame. We've heard this story, right? And that continued all throughout history. That had ripple effects now all through time. 
Brings us to the time of Noah. Genesis 5 and 6 tells the story of Noah and how God, in his mercy, preserved Noah and his family in an ark and in his justice judged the rest of the earth and destroyed them with a flood. You know the story about animals that we read to our kids before bed? We just leave out all the floating dead bodies out of that story. And what happens after Noah? Right? God preserves this remnant, this family, and almost immediately the world just goes dark again. Fast forward just a little bit, our scripture reading from earlier, Genesis chapter 12, and we see this interaction between God and a man named Abram. This interaction kicks off God telling the world, I'm going to fix what has been broken. That's the impetus of God's initiation with Abram. I am going to fix what's been broken. So God initiates a covenant with Abram. I'm going to create, God says, a covenant community. And through this covenant community, I'm going to reconcile all things to myself. All things we learn in Colossians, both later, both things visible and invisible. And through this covenant, as we read, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed by it. God says to Abram, I'm going to bless you so that the nations will be glad because right now they're still under the brokenness of our first parents. And from Genesis 12 all the way through the, New, the Old Testament, as you, as you walk through the story of God's people, is telling and bearing witness to the, the rollout of this covenant plan that God made with Abram. Everything from Moses leading God's people out of slavery in Egypt, they, they, they crossed the Jordan, and they enter the promised land under Joshua. You fast forward to the reign of King David, where there was peace and prosperity, where the nation flourished, or even under his son Solomon, who was a mixed bag, we have to be honest. But under Solomon, the people worshipped God rightly in the temple, right? And then following the brokenness of Solomon, you have this whole wide array of a couple of good kings and a whole lot of wicked ones. Through exile and then return in Nehemiah and rebuilding and all the prophets, God was always working this entire time without fail to make for himself a people who would be his people. Why? Why was he making himself a people? Two things. They would, so that they would worship him as their God and they would be his people as a blessing to those who were not yet his people. A blessing to all the other peoples of the earth. And so what echoes from Genesis all the way through to the end of the Old Testament in the prophet Malachi, what echoes over and over and over again is this refrain. The great and coming day of the Lord. The great and mighty day of the Lord. The day of reconciliation and of hope when God was going to finally reconcile all things to himself. It echoes all through the Old Testament. What God promised with Abraham was starting to play itself out in history. God was working to fix what sin had broken. And as I mentioned, we get to the prophet Malachi, the last prophetic voice, if you will, and then 400 years of silence. There is no prophet amongst God's people. And then Jesus enters the scene. 
We read in the gospel accounts, which are the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, of the life and ministry of Jesus, that Jesus, fully God and fully man, enters into creation. The creation that he has spoken into existence, he enters into and he says two pretty remarkable things. One, one of the first things out of Jesus' mouth is this, repent for why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. I am bringing with me the promise of all that God has started in Abram. Me. It's coming with me. It's at hand. It is present. It's here, he says. And then he says to John 10, and I have sheep that aren't of this fold. I must bring them in also. They will listen to my voice. There will be one flock and one shepherd. In Jesus, we're seeing this fulfillment of the promise to make them a people and to bless them in such a way so that they will be a blessing to the nations. Jesus' work culminates in the cross and the resurrection, which we celebrated Good Friday and Easter just this past weekend, right? It is finished, Jesus says on the cross. And then in Matthew 28, after he rises again from the dead, before he ascends to the sky, he blesses his disciples and says, now you Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, and I will be with you till the very end. Which brings us to Acts chapter 2. The disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, as we see in Acts chapter 2. And Peter preaches a sermon that would normally clear seats, right? He reminds them that they are the ones who murdered Jesus. You murdered him. And what happens? Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Seeker-sensitive sermon that saves 3,000 souls. I find that fascinating. 3,000 people trust in Jesus and get saved. And then in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John get thrown in jail for preaching the message of Jesus and 5,000 more people get saved after hearing the gospel. Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says this, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's cool. The word of God is multiplying. But it doesn't stop there. It spreads out from Jerusalem to the surrounding area, into Judea and Galilee and even Samaria. In Acts chapter 8, the disciple named Philip shares the gospel with an Ethiopian official, royal official, who is on his way back home. He's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip's like, hey, do you, do you know what you're reading about? He's like, how am I supposed to know unless someone explains it to me? And Philip says, I can do that explains to him how Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. And this guy says, that sounds good to me. What's preventing me from getting baptized and believing in Jesus right now? And Philip goes, nothing. Here's some water. Let's get it done. Right? Right along the side of the road. The gospel now is leaking out to other places. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. What was multiplying? The church was multiplying. However, however, up to this point, with only a few exceptions, like the Ethiopian and a few others, these new believers are mostly Jewish 
in heritage, so the nations are not yet fully glad. Then, in Acts chapter 10 and 11, Peter is praying up on a rooftop. Probably didn't look like today. Peter's praying, and he has a vision. And on this vision are, is a sheet coming down out of the sky with all these different um, unclean animals according to Old Testament law. And he hears a voice saying, take and kill and eat. And Peter's like, I don't know. I'm not supposed to do that. Happens three times. And then Peter gets a visit from the house of Cornelius who says, Cornelius was part of this Italian cohort, non-Jew, Gentile, to invite Peter. He was told in a vision to go find Peter. Peter comes to his house, and even before Peter is done with his gospel presentation, the Spirit of God falls in the house, and Cornelius and those in his household believe the gospel and are filled with the Holy Spirit, which is awesome because now the gospel has broken through cultural barriers and there's a way into the kingdom of God for those who were once outcast and far off. Gentiles, non-Jews, are being welcomed into the kingdom of God. Acts 12, 24 says, And the word of God increased and multiplied. The kingdom of God is advancing. Are we seeing this pattern play itself out? Now in history, approximately 42 AD, Mark goes to Egypt. In approximately 49 A.D., the Apostle Paul goes to Turkey. In 51 A.D., Paul goes to Greece. In 52 A.D., tradition holds that the Apostle Thomas goes to India. And Acts 16 verse 5 says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So, so it's not just converts as individuals. But churches are being established. They're being planted, and they were increasing in number of believers and number of churches. The church was growing and multiplying. In fact, Acts tells us about a woman named Lydia who was a successful uh, merchant in her own right, who becomes a follower of Jesus, and the church in her town starts meeting in her home. She uses what God has given her to now bless others to expand the kingdom. Around 54 AD, Paul embarks on his third missionary journey. It's during that time that Paul spends nearly two years living and teaching in Ephesus to establish and build up the church there. Acts 19 verse 20, so the Lord, excuse me, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail, that means win, mightily. The word of God was winning. Then in around 60 AD, Paul journeys to Rome, where he'll remain for a couple of years until his death, awaiting trial, because his ministry, the preaching of the gospel, oddly enough, caused a bit of an uproar in the Roman Empire. Parts of the world that we now know as Central Asia and Southeastern Europe, the message was countercultural, and the empire wasn't a big fan of that. Which brings us to our text, Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. Paul lived in Rome for two whole years, under guard, but at his own expense. And while there, welcomed all who came to him. Verse 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The kingdom was advancing. The gospel message of Jesus was being proclaimed. People's lives were being changed and churches were being planted and it was not 
going to be stopped. In fact, every time the gospel makes a leap across a cultural boundary or a language barrier or a geographical uh, boundary, do you know what was often the catalyst for that leap? Those, those anchor passages we read in Acts? You know what was the catalyst for that most of the time? was persecution. The church, Christians were pressed on by the culture, by uh, the, the politics of the day. They were pressed on. And what happened? The gospel leaked out. And it went other places. So by the time Paul gets to Rome, he's got nothing to lose. He's like, do you know what I've been through? I should have been dead like 12 times and I'm not. So I'm just going to keep doing this until I am. I've got nothing to lose. So the gospel spreads and Jesus is building his church. This is how it actually happens. And from here on out, from Acts 28 out, history keeps going. It doesn't just stop. In 174 AD, the first Christians are reported in what is now Austria. In 280 AD, the first rural churches begin to emerge in northern Italy, telling us that Christianity is no longer strictly an urban phenomenon. In 350 AD, approximately 53% of the Roman Empire would identify as a Christian. The man that we would come to know as St. Patrick, a young man who was taken as a slave to what is now Ireland, escapes and in 432 goes back to the place of his captivity with the gospel as a missionary to the people who once held him. In 596, Augustine and a team of missionaries travel from North Africa to what is now England to reintroduce the gospel, which had kind of fallen away. And the missionaries settle in Canterbury, and within a year, within a year, they baptize nearly 10,000 new believers. In 635, the first Christian missionaries arrive in China. In 740, Irish monks, think about that, Patrick went back to evangelize, and in 740, Irish monks are on a missionary journey to Iceland. In 900, missionaries reach Norway, and by the year 1200, the Bible is available in 22 different languages. The Word of God is prevailing. It's winning. By 1498, the first Christians are reported in Kenya in 1554, it's reported that there are 1,500 converts to Christianity in what we now call Thailand. And from uh, mid-1700s uh, to late 1760s, 17, early 1770s, men like David Brainerd, Puritan preacher Jonathan Edwards, and a man named John Morant, who was a free black man from New York State, all begin to minister cross-culturally to what uh, mostly in the northeastern part of the, what would be the United States and in southeastern Canada, ministering cross-culturally, bringing the gospel to native populations in the Americas. In 1843, a German immigrant named Conrad Fleischmann baptizes five new believers and he plants a church. Here's the name of the church, the German Church of the Lord that meets on Poplar Street. In case you were curious where they met, it was Poplar in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And his ministry, his mission, he felt his calling was to reach the, the large number of German immigrants who were now moving to America with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1851, four churches band together, forming the first German Baptist Conference, which later becomes the North American Baptist Conference, of which we are a part. 
And the reason they banded together is they thought, man, you know, we can do more ministry together than we can do by ourselves. In 1861, the Dakota Territory opens, and the central portion of the Dakota Territories, which is where you are now, is flooded with immigrants from Germany and from Scandinavia. That's why we all say, yeah, and you betcha, and we don't show emotions, and our hands are in our pockets a lot, and we're all passive-aggressive, right? (laughs) To reach these new people, spread out across this wide, bizarre, and beautiful landscape, they set up preaching stations all across the plains, north and south, little houses or, or, or shacks or places where circuit riders on horseback would go from station to station week in and week out, to bring the gospel to these people who were spread out all over the plains, including in North Dakota. By 1885, uh, the conference that I was referring to earlier, which later becomes North American Baptist Conference, launches a theological training school, and their goal is to equip men and women for ministry, and by 1892, the conference sends out a woman named Anna, excuse me, Emma Rauschenbach to India as their first overseas missionary. And in the late 1890s, NAB churches send resources, people, and funds to bring the gospel to Cameroon. And today, there are more Baptist Christians in Cameroon, Africa, than there are in the entire North American Baptist Conference in the United States. Apparently, we still have some work to do here. Right? By 1900... There were 110, just NAB. I mean, I'm just talking about our little slice of of connection, okay? By 1900, there are 110 North American Baptist congregations in North Dakota, a hundred of which had at one time been an outlying preaching station. So do the math with me. Approximately 10 established churches worked to plant a hundred churches in the state of North Dakota, However, the zeal for church planting and kingdom advancement, at least in our little pocket of relationships, cooled. I mean, the world got more complex at that time, didn't it? It got mobile. We had cars and a couple of world wars. And preaching stations closed and churches grew inward. Between the early 1900s until 2009... It's approximately 100 years, give or take. Only eight NAB churches were planted in North Dakota, some of which were the result of church splits more than missional passion. Like, well, we're going to go do our thing, you know, across the street. Four of those churches no longer exist. So after 150 years of expansion and kingdom growth, the movement had virtually stalled. Now, bringing this into our history a little bit, in the spring of 2009, the Lord put it upon the heart of Brett Mosier and some committed families at Metropolitan Baptist Church in South Fargo, right down 25th Street, to support and send a team of people to plant in downtown Fargo. Me, and and along with my family, with the sending support of Bethel Church here in Fargo, we joined this team, the rest of this core team that God was building, and we planted River City Church in downtown Fargo in September of 2009 with about 25 people, and we soon launched two missional communities. We actually gathered first in the evenings at uh, right between Dempsey's and uh, Atomic Coffee in that little club in the back. I think now it's a part of Dempsey's. Haven't been in there for a while. Maybe we should go see a show. 
But that's where we started meeting. We quickly outgrew that. And man, that was an exciting time. I mean, before we redid the foyer out here, it was just a garage, which we have referred to as the garage. We did our first baptisms out there in an inflatable kiddie pool. There's a photo of Ben. I'd have you, I won't have you stand up. He's tall, right? There's a photo of Ben on my shoulders as a kid, like standing in the back watching as the person was kneeling down in this kiddie pool so we could baptize them because that's what we had. And God has been remarkably faithful to us. So just to give you that picture, River City was the first North American Baptist church that was planted in North Dakota, in the North Central region, since the mid-1980s. And by God's grace, in February <clears throat> excuse me, of 2016, River City Downtown launched a second congregation, River City Southwest. I know, real creative in the names, right? And in 2019, River City Southwest became Grace City Church, a fully self-sustaining and growing sister church proclaiming the gospel in the southwest part of our city. I had lunch this week kind of impromptu with Jeremy Martinson, who's the pastor there. We love what they're doing. And since then, since that time, there have been two more churches planted in the North American Baptist Conference here in the NCA, Disciples Church in Mandan and Missio Church in Bismarck. On top of that, in late 2020, Hope City Church launched in Bismarck, North Dakota as well. Shout out to our Hope City Bismarck people, right? There's a couple here this morning because why not? Uh, they're an Acts 29 church plant. Me and another Acts 29 pastor in Jamestown kind of serve on Chris's. He's the pastor at Hope City, his advisory board. In fact, we're hopefully getting together in person this week, provided it doesn't give us like eight inches of snow. Further, beyond that, we're connected with and supporting uh, Mitchell and Emily Cooper, who Mitchell just this week got his visa approved to travel to the Middle East. Finally, hallelujah. Right? Years of like COVID and then that's not the right paperwork and you need to submit, submit this again. And oh, by the way, it's across the globe. Right? Finally. And he and his family are going to be part of a church that's planted there and a leadership training school to train church leaders and pastors. They're being sent out. We're supporting them from here, but they're being sent out from another church in the Middle East who's sending them. Last year, we have these stats from Acts 29 too, the church planning network we're a part of. Last year, Acts 29 celebrated over 7,500 conversions globally in our churches. Men and women putting their faith and trust in Jesus. In 2001, Acts 29 welcomed 58 new churches into our diverse global network, uh, excuse me, family of church planning churches. 30 of those, 30 of them being brand new church plants. You all remember 2020, right? 30 of them, brand new church plants. And there are hundreds of church planters in the pipeline for assessment and development. In January of this last year, we... Uh, with much joy, launched the River City Institute with five students with the goal of what? Training and equipping men and women for ministry right here in-house. Devin is kicking butt and taking names for the kingdom with those five people. Can I say that? Yeah. I said butt, so, you know, it's mild. Right, and as you heard this morning, Mitch Friedman, our own Mitch, <laughs> has been called to serve as a pastor in rural North Dakota. I'm glad he, we, could, he, we could tell that. I didn't have to take it out of my notes this morning. I could tell you. 
To, be, to, be, to serve the Lord in rural North Dakota, bringing revitalization and missional zeal to a church that desires to reach their surrounding community. They want to multiply the gospel where they are and multiply disciples. And they've invited Mitch to come in and help lead them in that. And we celebrate that. And on and on and on it goes. Now, why do I tell you all this? That was a big, long history lesson. This is not to pat ourselves on the back and say, look what we've done. No, not at all. Two reasons I've recapped all this history. One, I want us to see that the part that we play in the global mission of God does not hinge on our creativity or our vision, but on God. And because it hinges on Him, we can join with faithful men and women, moms and dads, missionaries, pastors, farmers, teachers, fellow disciples all through history who've been caught up into God's story that he's telling, into this kingdom that he's building, and trust that he's going to build his church. That's the first thing I want us to to consider when we look at this history of what God is doing. Two, I also want us to see that even though the context is different and changing, we don't ride out to preaching stations by horseback anymore. Although that might be fun. If anyone wants to start a preaching station horseback ministry, let me know. The methods fluctuate. But the mission is exactly the same. We are called to the same thing. The making of disciples and the multiplying of churches through the preaching of the gospel and teaching all that Jesus has taught us. And God, in his divine wisdom, has chosen the means by which he will build his church. And that is... His church. It might seem a little silly. Like, are you sure you want to use us, God? Apparently. So we must not take our foot off the pedal until the trumpet sounds and Jesus breaks through the sky in glory. So we're just going to floor it. This is why we will continue to lean into the discomfort, the bittersweetness of multiplication and of church planting and of sending out our friends to go to other places. So what does it mean for us? It brings us back to our text. What do we see here in these last two verses from the life and ministry of Paul that help give us a picture of what it might look like for us to continue this mission that Jesus gives us as his church? Let me read it again. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming, the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul spent the rest of his life at his own expense welcoming all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. If we're going to continue to be about the mission of God, a church on mission with purpose, Maybe we can spend our energies like Paul does. First, welcoming all who came to him. We say this in one of our core values as it relates to mercy, that the church isn't a club for the elite and those who get it, those who have it all together. In fact, Christianity is the only group of people I know where it is a prerequisite to be messed up. You don't get in unless you need a doctor. 
Jesus said that, by the way. It's not the healthy, it's the sick. The church, then, is a mission hospital that, that welcomes in those who are weary and sick with sin and offers the gospel of grace as a cure for sin, as hope. It's the gospel that comforts. It's the gospel that transforms. You want in? You want in on this? Okay. Just a warning. It's messy. None of us. None of us has arrived yet. But Jesus is making us into something. Paul welcomed anyone, Luke writes in the book of Acts, anyone who wanted to come and hear what Jesus is all about, and we want to do the same. You want to follow Jesus with us? All right, let's go. Now, he's going to change us along the way. Prerequisite one, you come needy. Prerequisite two, well, he's not content to leave us that way, so you've got to be ready. He's going to work on us because he's making us into something. But you're welcome. You're welcome into that. That's the first thing. Second, proclaiming the kingdom of God. We've talked a little about the kingdom of God. If you want to really dive into this idea of the kingdom, uh, let me encourage you even this week to meditate on how Jesus talks about the kingdom. That it has come with him. That he says that the kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in a field and someone just stumbles upon it and upon seeing how beautiful it is, is willing to sell everything in order to have that field. And what does the kingdom do as it invades? It changes, it transforms, it heals, it dismantles the old kingdoms and establishes the rule and reign of Jesus. So if we're in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are a new creation. Or as Paul says in Colossians, that we have been transferred, you've been moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And this kingdom of God is embodied, it's not just theoretical, it is embodied by the people of God. You want nearness? You want community? You want care? You want someone to walk with you and bear your burdens? You want someone to hold you accountable and show you some tough love because, I mean, we all know we need it, so we don't ask for it, but we need it, so let's ask for it, right? You want that? You want someone to cry with you as you struggle? to help you as you have challenges in your marriage or walk beside you as you learn how to be a parent to these little humans who, by the way, are also sinners. You want to use the gifts God has given you? Welcome to the kingdom of God embodied, still in process, but being sanctified. Jesus said, this kingdom community, the world looks on and says, there's something weird about you people. There's str something strange about you, Christians. You, you actually care about each other. You hang out and eat meals together. You cry together. You're generous. Sometimes what the world would say to a fault, you're generous with each other. You love each other. Proclaiming the kingdom, that's two. And three, Paul says, teaching about the Lord Jesus. We are unashamed of the person and message of Jesus. His gospel is our gospel. And where the scriptures speak, God is speaking. So our message isn't primarily social or political. It isn't primarily pragmatic or theoretical. Jesus said it. All the scriptures testify about me, Jesus said. 
So if our message veers off into tangents and doesn't stay tethered to Jesus Christ, then we are in danger of teaching a different gospel. Now that doesn't mean that what the Bible has to say doesn't affect how we think about culture or how we think about social issues or how we think about politics or that it doesn't have any practical insight for our lives. It absolutely does. But everything is to be understood through the lens of the redemptive mission and work of Jesus That is what we mean when we say we desire to be gospel-centered, that all of our life and ministry is lived through the lens of the gospel. And Acts says, Paul did these things with all boldness and without hindrance. So as we consider our part in the advancement of the kingdom, what does it mean? What does all boldness look like? What does without hindrance look like? I mean, there could be lots of things. Let me just give you a few. Boldness. Here's boldness in a few ways. One, boldness before the throne of God. Oh God, would you make us more fervent in prayer as our first priority and not as a last resort? Preaching to myself here, so welcome into that. Pleading with God for the souls of our family members and our neighbors and our friends and the people we care so deeply about. Boldly asking God to do impossible things and provide in ways that seem way above our ability but not impossible for Him. Being about the good and difficult work of prayer. Two, boldness in our witness. Boldness in our words, not shying away from Jesus, not apologizing for the truth of the Word of God, not arrogant or rude, but boldly speaking the truth in genuine love and compassion. Three, boldness in our action. Here's my cheesy dad joke for the day. Boldness is sometimes spelled R-I-S-K, risk. Stepping out of the comfort and into the work of the kingdom involves risk. It costs something. Boldness in sacrificial generosity. Being willing to be inconvenienced and stretched for the sake of the kingdom. So if God has called us to multiply ourselves, we're willing to do the hard work of multiplication. Our community group just multiplied this last week, and it felt weird. I mean, I love the people in our community group, but it felt like half our family was missing. It was weird. But groups multiplying makes room for other people to come in and to taste this messy thing where we follow Jesus together. There's room in my living room now. There wasn't before. And I love those people who launched out, but there's room in their living room too, right? Church planting and sending out people we love like Mitch and Abby, is the same thing. Just on a slightly larger scale. You're moving a couple hours away, not, you know, a mile. Boldness. And without hindrance. Last things, I promise, we're almost done. Without hindrance. It means that we believe that there is nothing, that there is no one that can stop Jesus from building his church. He's going to do it. So it isn't about any of us. It's not about our names or the name of River City. Now that matters because God has chosen to use us, but it doesn't matter in that ultimately Jesus is building his church and we are working by faith, empowered by the Spirit to carry out his mission. 
preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And two, without hindrance, it means that we're going to continue to lean into planting and sending and multiplying, even when it would be easier to not send a person. It would be easier to not send money and just keep it here, keep them here. Now, I mentioned this at the beginning of the year uh, at our town hall meeting, but we are continuing as elders to pray about who and when and where as we consider planting tangibly. There are opportunities to continue to support church planting efforts around us. We're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep working to equip pastors like Mitch to bring life and health to established congregations as well. We are still doing those things. And also, where is God calling us to lead out in planting a new work of the gospel? What might that look like? So we're inviting you to freshly consider the commissioning of Jesus to every one of you who is a believer in Jesus, everyone who is a disciple, the call on you to make disciples. And as a part of River City, our mission to multiply disciples and plant churches together. So my prayer for us in this next season as a church We would pray that the Spirit of God would continue to be at work drawing men and women to Himself, which is what He does, by the way. That we would pray that God would raise up men and women alongside us from amongst us so that the work might multiply. And that we would pray that God would provide everything that we need. And not just funds and provision, but unity and faith And yes, provision, so that the kingdom of God might advance. So we can then lean in and we can participate. Investing in the community that's available to you. Investing in the lives of people and let them invest in you. That takes time. That can be uncomfortable. It means we can be generous with the resources that God has given us. What has He given you in terms of time and energy? How can we be hospitable and sacrificial for the mission of God as He provides for us and gives us opportunities to be generous? Jesus has commissioned us and called us to join Him on His mission to make disciples, on His mission to advance the kingdom of God on earth, and we're going to press into that until Jesus comes back and tells us we're done. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are constantly at work declaring your glory. In the snow, you keep hidden away until its proper time. And in the heart of a woman or a man that is opened to to the joy and the beauty of the gospel and forgiveness that could be theirs. And you're at work in in everywhere in between, and we can see so little of it. Would you remind us of your faithful and good work? That you are always at work. And you are inviting your people to join you 
in that kingdom work. Father, I pray that starts even this morning as we come to the table, that you would realign our hearts as we look fresh at the the cross. Jesus' inauguration of this renewed people, making us reconciled, making us your people through your own body and blood. And then sending us as ambassadors, as, as those with a message of what you've done. Father, I pray that you would cause our hearts to fill with gratitude and repentance and faith as we come to the communion table, that you'd renew your people for your great glory and name we pray. Amen.